Welcome to Savvy Money Talks. I am so excited to bring this podcast to you, where we break down barriers and normalize women talking openly about money, investing, and wealth. I am Kara, your host and financially savvy BFF, and my mission is to bring financial education and financial literacy to millions of women across the globe. I'm here to empower you to create your version of financial freedom and independence, whatever that looks like to you. Not to have money for money's sake, but for the choice and freedom it provides you, your family and your loved ones. We'll dive deep into the topics that will empower you on your journey to financial independence. We'll explore the transformative power of understanding your beliefs and attitudes towards money so you can break free from limitations and create a mindset of abundance. Get ready for insightful discussions and financial education about managing and investing money more effectively to help you take charge of your financial future. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Savvy Money Talks, where we normalize women talking openly about money, investing and wealth. I'm super excited to have Alana Nelson here with me today. Alana and her husband are property investors and they reached their first million dollars in their 20s. They now have a multi-million dollar property portfolio. So welcome, Alana. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I can't wait to hear all of your insights about investing in property and your tips and tricks of how to get started and what to do. So first of all, I'd just like to ask you, what is the three most important things that you did to build your property portfolio? Well, the number one I would say would be educate myself on the ins and outs of building a property portfolio. So I'd say education number one, and also from that education to create a goal that you really want. So it's got to be something that you can commit to, but also something big enough and meaningful enough to stay the course with. So the first most important thing is is to create a goal that's big enough that you'll be disciplined to commit to. The second thing, obviously, being then is to be disciplined, which can mean going without unnecessary stuff in the short term. So we would live quite modestly and so that we could just invest the rest. My husband and I weren't big income earners when we started, so we had to live really quite modestly so that we could put enough money away to grow it. And the third would be to only take advice from people that have walked the path before you. We did find that there was a lot of naysayers and a lot of those people were probably people closest to us. And I don't think they were doing it to necessarily be negative, but I think to protect us because they would have been worried having not walked that path before. So yeah, my third tip would be to only take advice from people that have where you want to great yeah there's definitely a lot of information there I I love that the very first thing that you said was all about education because I think a lot of people's fears in regards to investing in property or shares comes from a lack of education around how it actually works I saw some research recently that 45% of Australians are actually financially illiterate which means they don't understand basic concepts like interest rates compound interest inflation and diversification. So yeah, I 100% agree that education is really, really important. And I love that you also touched on the mindset stuff around setting a goal that's actually your own goal, that it's not what society or somebody else wants you to have, but something that's like really meaningful to you because then it helps so much with the discipline piece 
with the making the hard decisions, the tough decisions around what you prioritise with your money. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, there was a million times where, you know, we we lived very modestly. Our first dining table was a plastic green outdoor setting that we pulled off someone's verge, you know. <laughs> and there was no designer clothes. It was all like Kmart brands and stuff like that. It was just stuff we needed. Instead of going out for dinner and drinks, we'd probably have takeaway and cast wine at home or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we went without a lot. In the, knowing that it was just the short term, because we'd done the education, we knew that um, our investment would grow over time and we'd be okay over time. So I think the main goal was um, financial security. We weren't educated past high school and trade certificates. We didn't have a plan B as such. We didn't come from wealth. We just had no option but to create our own path and and teach ourselves how to get by and be okay. Yeah. I I love that you touch on that as well because in my past as a financial planner, a lot of people think that university education automatically means that you'll be financially literate and financially savvy and it's absolutely not the case. And the same applies to if you have a trade certificate or you go into an apprenticeship, it doesn't mean that this isn't available to you. It doesn't mean that you're not able to do this because you guys are a perfect example of this. You're a hairdresser when you came out of school and your husband's a plumber. So it really demonstrates that it's possible. You've just got to have the right education and actually spend the time and effort learning about it. You also mentioned around talking to people that have walked the path before you, walk the path that you want to walk, because there will be people in your life that don't understand, that haven't got the education that you've acquired recently, and they're worried about you. They love and care for you and they they don't necessarily understand what you're doing, which is why it's super important to surround yourself with people who have walked that path. So thank you for coming on this podcast and being that person that has walked the path already for others. So I know a lot of people will be thinking, well, you know, this is all well and good, this is great, but you started investing in property quite some time ago and the market has changed. It is different right now. So I'd really love to know what advice would you give people starting out right now if they're wanting to get into property? Yeah. Well, and also first remember that property is all cyclic as well. So you do have to weather every market in property. So I don't think, you know, there's obviously sometimes that a better times than other times to start maybe but you've still got to ride that wave anyway so uh, my advice for people starting today and I've got two teenage kids so um, this advice is probably quite relevant and something that I would talk about in our own home um, is that to start well first of all start as soon as you can like start straight away so start today with what you can afford so it might not be that you can go well you know, I don't have a deposit for a, for a house straight away, but then you've got to start with that in mind. Start educating yourself how you can in, put away small amounts and make that grow into a property investment, for example, like into that deposit. So I think starting today, doing everything that I mentioned in step one, so educating yourself, creating a goal, 
being disciplined and finding people that have walked the path to take advice from. And Mm -hmm. my other piece of advice would be to please don't compare yourself to others. Fortunately for me, when I started 20 years ago, social media wasn't a thing. So I think comparatonitis or whatever you want to call it can be quite debilitating. So just be very mindful of who and what you follow on social media. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because it is so true that social media is a highlight reel. We see the highlight reel of of everybody's life and um, it's not necessarily what's actually going on. There there can be a lot of smoke and mirrors out there and, you know, some people may be a lot further ahead than you, but use that as inspiration rather than going into comparisonitis around why aren't I there yet, why haven't I achieved that yet and like you said before, go back to the goal and the why, why you want to do this. Because we were talking offline before in regards to this perception that owning property is truly passive. It's not actually truly passive in the sense that you you do need to monitor, you do need to be involved in some degree. At times that may not be very much at all, but at other times you do need to keep up with the market and make changes when necessary and obviously with property things go wrong in the house or the yeah. apartment as well that need fixing and so that it's also the education part where knowing that you are going to have to fund maintenance things are going to break down you are going to have to replace them um, and that is part and parcel of owning property yeah, absolutely. You just hope that, yeah, you've picked the right one so the capital growth or, or the rental yield will, will you know, outweigh all, all those sacrifices. Absolutely. So that's a great lead into the next question. So what criteria or metrics do you use to determine if you think a property is going to be a good investment? So mm. what are the criteria that when you're going out to look at a property that you might like to purchase? So that, look... There's probably lots of different things and and I'm not, I st- look, I still think like I haven't looked at property to purchase for a few years now, but we always sort of had a, a little bit of a criteria and obviously it would be things like the location. So we used to look at the distance from the CBD as well so that you've always got good infrastructure. I would be looking at things like public transport, schools, all those things that are going to make it appealing and making sure that their long-term capital growth is going to go in the right direction. So obviously major cities lend itself to that a little bit more. I would look at potentially the block size. Is there a potential to increase its growth by maybe not and not always but maybe like subdivision or adding more to it or just the land having more land in itself that will yield stronger capital growth over time. I would look at things like the rental yield and, again, that would come back to its location. And obviously budget and affordability will play its part as well. So, you know, there will be different properties you can look at and different areas you can look at depending on your budget. Great. I love those metrics. And I think one thing that I've always looked at when I've been looking at property is proximity to the beach because, I mean, we're both absolute Mm. beach and it is 
in Australia, it's a massive thing, like being the proximity to the beach. And if you can get proximity to the beach and the CBD at the same time and public transport, that's incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I think all those things just it's accessibility really, isn't it? I think all all helps with the long term capital growth because you obviously want to be looking at yes, it's rental yield and how you can service that mortgage and or when it's paid off, you know, the positive cash flow that you can get from the property, but also it's uh, term yield as well. So that that's always what I'm looking for. I, I don't often purchase a property with the view to sell it ever. I want it to grow and continue to. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk long term, I say this a lot, is I talk in decades and even generations, yeah. whereas... I think so often we've been conditioned into thinking that long term is like five to ten years. It's like, well, no, long term is like 20, 30 or like you say, owning it for a lifetime or intergenerational wealth as well. Yeah, which is definitely our picture. And and look, obviously, as those things grow and you can pay off more, you can still hold on to it. And it's still a vehicle to create more wealth. Right. The, The goal is never to sell unless it was to release those funds to put it into something that I would have a better return. Yeah. So what is the best money advice you've ever been given? Oh, I'd have to say I'm going back to basics and this would be my my parents and they're not wealthy or anything like that, but what they always taught me was to not live beyond my means. So don't buy something unless I could afford it. So basically the only thing that I have bought that I couldn't pay for outright was property. <laughs> Everything else I've pretty much saved up for and, and bought. I mean, obviously you can use credit cards today, but I use them with the view not to live off the credit, but to use them for the practicality of using a credit card. So I, I still don't buy something unless I can afford it, unless I've already got the, the funds. Yeah, pay that credit card off in full at the end of the month. And what is the worst money advice you've ever been given? I can't think of one because I probably, I, I don't really think I've taken on much money advice. When you don't buy anything unless you can afford it, there's not really a lot else that can be taken on board, I suppose. So I don't, I'm trying to, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I did throw this one in at the last minute. You mentioned your why and knowing what your goal is. So when yeah. you were starting out, what was your goal? What was your ultimate vision and how did you know why property why did you want to go down this path so my ultimate goal is always financial security always have be comfortable have a roof over my head and to be able to do anything that I desired you know within reason like just be able to afford whatever it is I wanted I think that's the ultimate goal right so to not go without You mentioned choice and freedom earlier as well. So do you want to tell the listeners a bit about how your property portfolio gave you more choices in your life? I think the the main way that it's given me more choice in my life is that what it ultimately does is once we decided to invest in property, we were using that to create wealth because you're just gaining capital growth over time and and all our jobs needed to do was just the mortgages essentially right service all the bills so I think it gives you that freedom that one it's not that you need to chase a money-driven career you can 
do whatever it is that you want to do. And, and this is what I would even tell my own kids is you don't have to be anything you don't want to be. You do need obviously money to live and survive. So as long as you've got a job and, and then that job is just the vehicle, right, to pay for your assets, which is what grows your wealth in the background. And I think after the first sort of 10 or so years of investing in property, they started taking care of themselves where I didn't have to work so much because as those mortgages started paying down and the rent started increasing, things started to sort of level out a little bit. I think we spent all of our 20s really working hard and pushing hard and, you know, we weren't going on holidays and we weren't buying designer things like we were living really frugally so then the next decade after that I really got to take my foot off the pedal a little bit and enjoy being a mom and not have to work full-time and all those sorts of things so that I could be there I think it teaches you that you and it gives you the freedom and the option to go through different seasons in life you don't have to push push, push, push hard all the time. We did our hard yards early on and then it allowed uh, to be able to be parents. It's allowed me to be able to change careers over the years and, and to not work at all. So how much time did you take off when you had your kids? I know your oldest is, is she 15 now? 16, nearly 17 now, yeah. It was about 10 years, yeah. So I definitely had 10 years off between salons. So I sold my first salon in 2006 when I was pregnant with Evie because I had some complications anyway, so I couldn't stand, continue. So I sold that. And then it was 2016. It was the December of 2016 that I bought my next one. And that was after my youngest was in school full time as well. So I was off. I mean, look, we had a family business in that time. My husband still has a plumbing business, but it was just literally like obviously one income where I was able to stay home with the kids for those couple of years. Yeah, like in having built your property portfolio that enabled you to take 10 years off mm. to be with mm-hmm. children, whilst obviously, you know, managing the property portfolio, I'm sure contributing to your husband's business as well. But it just yeah. shows the level of choices and freedom that this can afford you because yes. it's... Yeah, we only needed enough income to service everything essentially because that's still growing in the background right so that that's still accumulated over those 10 years that I essentially just contributed mostly at home yeah fantastic yeah so you mentioned also that it allowed allowed you to change careers over time so do you want to tell us all about this new career transition that you've taken over the last little Mm. while I obviously hairdressing was my background that happened straight from school and I've owned two salons in in my time and I work from home and I've done a bit of mobile and and all those different things so look I did everything I wanted and needed to do in that industry and obviously anyone that knows especially anyone that works with their hands or, or works physically for a job that that sort of has an expiry date if you want to you know, <laughs> maintain a body that's not sort of breaking down past sort of 50, I suppose. I think, look, I've always had an affinity to property. I've always enjoyed appraising properties. I've always enjoyed looking at properties because we've done that for so long. So going into real estate, which is what I do now, I work um, as a real estate sales agent, um, was a natural progression for me. It might sound very odd to people that have just known me as, as a hairdresser. <laughs> But 
anyone that knows me and knows that I've been a property investor for many years and looking and appraising and being interested in property, it's actually perfect for me because the other side of it is obviously looking and appraising properties, but also the relationships that I always had with clients day in, day out and communicating with people and talking to them and getting to know them, I still get to do that and maintain relationship building with people. So I get the best of both worlds now. And I don't think I would have had the guts or financially be able to do that if it wasn't for having a property portfolio, for sure. Yeah, to be able to to leave something that wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do in the future and to give something else a go, to to study, to train and go yep. through that career transition. That's amazing. So, so much more choice and freedom in your life because of... Yeah, and, and look, it, it was as easy as it was hard because easy in that I'd second regret doing it, but at the time... I was walking away from quite a a lucrative career. You know, I'd built up a salon with quite a few team members and I didn't have to work on the tools. And to most people, it would seem like a silly proposition to to go completely. But I figure you only live once and it's something I really wanted to try. So I didn't want to live in regret. I'd say having investment properties allowed me to safely navigate that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Alana. It's been great to hear all of your insights into building a multi-million dollar property portfolio. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of this. So thank you very much for coming on. I hope so. And thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this chat. I I love talking about life and philosophy and and investing, and so do you. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Alana. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd have, I'd absolutely love it if you would be able to subscribe and share it with your friends. It would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot and share it on your IG story. Be sure to tag me so I can thank you. The information shared on the Savvy Money Talks podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. It's for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make financial or investment decisions. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the PDS, TMD and obtain appropriate financial and tax advice tailored towards your needs.